everyone. This is Sarah Emerson at Soul City Church. I'm the creative pastor here, and you are listening to the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this is a show designed to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. And we release a new episode on the first Friday of every single month. So if you haven't already, tap that subscribe button on whatever app you're using to listen to your podcast on, and you'll never miss another one. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. This is episode 17, and today's guest is Sarah Emerson. She's currently the creative pastor at Soul City Church in downtown Chicago. And before that, she was at Christ Community Church in St. Charles, Illinois, and even was on staff with Judd Wilhite in California before he moved on to Las Vegas. But her start in full-time ministry really started at Willow Creek Community Church as a service producer, and that's the post that I want to hitch our wagon to in this episode. Creating a service producer role at your church may not be something that you've thought of off the top of your head, but even at a smaller church and even with volunteers filling that role, this can really help take some of the weight off of you as a worship pastor and really do a better job of shepherding the people on your teams and also to help polish the details of your service. And with all the experience that Sarah has, both as a service producer at Willow, but also the opportunities that she's had to lead entire teams of creatives since then, she has a lot of wisdom of what this position could look like, how to train a person to be a producer, and why it's such an important role. Plus, she's an excellent relational leader in general of creative people, and that really comes through throughout this entire conversation. There's a lot that we can learn from her as we try to lead our own teams at our own church. But before we start the interview, the product of the month is Sound Pads. Pads are these uh, ambient, droney keyboard sounds that you can play in the background when you're leading worship, whether you're with a full band or if it's just you and your acoustic or on a piano. And the cool thing about pads is that you don't have to worry about the chords. As long as you pick the pad that's in the correct key, all of those chords chords are going to fit and it's going to sound really nice with that pad, make it nice and lush. It's kind of like, pads are like the mortar in a brick wall. It just fills in the cracks and especially if it's just you and your acoustic, you know, you could run tracks and make it sound fuller, but then it feels overproduced and kind of fake and that doesn't work. But even if it's just you and one instrument, adding those pads adds just enough thickness, but it doesn't seem like super over the top. Now, there's a lot of places that will sell you pads and a lot of great options that are out there. The thing I like about Core Sound Pads specifically is that they have their own app as well because in the past, I have used pads. And then once you get them, now you have to figure out how to use these things, whether you put them into Ableton or you download another app and then you have to put those pads into Dropbox and then link your Dropbox to the app and all these different things. No, you just download their app 
and then you select the paths that you want and it's all good to go. It's super easy to set up. You can uh, select your songs and what pads you want to use and what keys they are in. And then when it's time to build the set list, you just grab the songs and you've already done the decision making of the different pads that they have. Some of them are dark. Some of them are bright. Some of them are real big and lush. Some of them are small and simple. And if you download the app, all of the pads are available in the key of D in that app. So you can start testing it out and playing with it and seeing which ones that you like. Is this going to fit your workflow? And then you can either buy the pads directly in the app or you can buy bundles on their website. And then when you go back to the app, they all show up. If you use the promo code practical, you can get 20% off of the order. And that's not just like a one time. Every single time you go to the website and you use that promo code practical, you're going to get 20% Uh, For more information on Core Sound Pads, I'll put links in the show notes. And as we mentioned things throughout the entire episode, we'll put those links to the things that we talk about in the show notes as well. Just go to practicalworshiplog.com slash podcast 17. And now here's my conversation with Sarah Emerson. Sarah Emerson, welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. Okay, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but one thing I have to like, I have to figure this out. Uh, you, so you grew up in Southern California. I did. How how does someone from Southern California become a self described hockey mom? How does that happen? A lot of prayer and aggression. I think those two things: prayer and aggression. I, I, okay. On a scale of like, I don't know what a hockey puck is to I've hit a person with a stick. How how much of a hockey mom are you? Well, here's the thing. I am probably, um, well, I would say on a scale of one to 10, how much of a hockey mom am I? I'd say an eight. Um, but the dangerous part is I probably think I know way more than I actually do. How does that play out? Like, how have you found yourself in a situation where you're just like a little bit in over your head? Oh, that's most of the time. Um, so I actually, this is a very funny story. We were at a tournament recently. And um, what I do is when I feel like they've made a call that's not okay, I like raise my hand like a penalty. Like you, I raise my hand. And so I, and I usually just yell, hey, really loud, like, cause somebody's tried to check my son and I don't think it's okay. Um, and so I was doing that and I was on the other side of the ring from my husband and we have it on video actually, cause my husband was filming my son and this guy goes, oh my gosh, listen to that lady. And my husband says, uh, yeah. So actually, that's my wife. That's her signature move. I know she can be loud, but you're not allowed to make fun of her. So you you just stop that right there. I can tell her that it's not okay, but you can't say anything about her. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. So I was like, thanks, hon, I guess. I, I think thanks for sticking up for me. Now, do you think Soul City will ever have like a hockey team or do they have a hockey team? They don't, but we should. We definitely should. Now, here's the thing. I should never actually be the one playing, but I definitely want to be the coach if we do. Yeah. So if Soul City did have a hockey team, like what would the mascot be? Oh, if Soul City, that's a great question. If Soul City had a hockey team, what would the mascot be? Probably a DJ. Like, it would be really cool to have, like, a, I don't know, some, like, DJ with some big headphones or something on, on the back of your jersey. Wouldn't that be cool? Like That is amazing. You could make the puck into, like, a record or something. That would be fun. I love it. I don't 
don't know who we would play though. That would be my question. Who we would play? Like, do we contact the other churches and say like, Hey, Saddleback, Hey, Elevation, get yourself a hockey team. Let's just do a throwdown. Like they do like, you know, like in wrestling, just like, can you just come in and just say, Oh, Willow Creek, North Point, we could beat you. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, Hey, you never know. Weirder things have probably happened. Well, okay. I didn't bring you on here to talk hockey, but this is fascinating. But uh, the reason I wanted to bring on the podcast is that, you know, with your experience being, you know, obviously a creative pastor now, and even your beginnings as a service producer over at Willow Creek and all of that, I wanted to have a little bit of a conversation of specifically like how a service producer could, you know, how you've seen that role, how you've done that role, uh, and how that can really free up a, a service and a worship pastor and all that. And a lot of people that listen to this particular podcast, they're at a smaller church. They're probably the only person on staff. Everyone else is volunteers, but there's such a great opportunity to have someone that is 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 in that role. And so I kind of wanted to pick your brain on how you've done it, how you've seen it done, you know, for, for people like me that like to like see something in action and then reverse engineer it. That's kind of the conversation that, that I'd like to have. So I want to kind of rewind the tape a little bit and because some of your first, you know, uh, doings in just in ministry in general really do go back to to Willow Creek and being that service producer. So when you like, how did you get that start as the service producer at Willow? And what do you think that they saw in you that was valuable to the role? Lots of great questions. Um, so how did I get my start there? Um, honestly, that was a total God thing, and I was at a conference and. My um, dad had said, hey, go meet some of my friends. And so I did. And um, they invited me to come to like a debrief meeting. So I was just sitting in and hanging out. And I had grown up in the church and had gone to uh, my degree was in ministry with a music and theater minor. I had majored in musical theater for a couple years. And so definitely um, had grown up around the studios and stuff like that. So had some knowledge of a bunch of different things and was still just trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. I had been on staff as a worship leader for a while at different churches. And so coming into that meeting that day for that debrief, um, I was just in a season of like, I wonder how God's going to use all the things that he's, um, had me be a part of. Um, I had a history of people asking me to do stuff before I was really ready to do it. And I was just crazy enough to say yes. So in this meeting, when they were like, Hey, would you want to interview to be a producer? I was like, sure. What's that? Like, I don't even know what a producer that is. That sounds amazing. Whatever it is. Right. So I found out that it was, um, what it was and recognized that I could use my love of, um, church services and gatherings and, um, theater and music and really, um, getting to lead people and inspire people, I could put all of that together. I was all in. I was like, yes, this would be great. So started the interview process with them and um, was hired on and got, a, I mean, what I like to think of is like a two years, two year master's degree, pretty, you know, just walked in and just took all of the information and I could and learned from some of the very best and was just really, really um, grateful for the experience and for the opportunity to to have um, them take a risk on me. I mean, um, it, I, I look back now and I'm thinking, would I take the same risk on me? I don't know. But um, yeah, the things that I think they probably saw was I was willing and eager to learn um, and hungry to to listen 
and to put into practice quickly what they were showing me. Um, I had some of the experience. I hadn't done that job, but I had enough knowledge of the different areas. Um, and I loved people and relationships came first. And so how did your expectations about the role, like, did they, like, going into it, because you were kind of like, yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm not sure what it involves, but it sounds fun. Let's do it. So six months in, and now you're like, you've got, you know, several services under your belt. Like, did the expectations, did they match your realities? Or were there some things about it that you're like, oh, I didn't realize it involved that? Both. Um, I think I, I always had a healthy recognition of this is a really awesome opportunity. And so I never wanted to, um, I never wanted that to become mundane or normal. I always wanted to hold a healthy respect for, wow, this is really great that I get to do this. I was 23 years old and hired to be the producer for the Wednesday and uh, Thursday night new community gatherings. So, um, I had a healthy recognition of that. Um, but then there were also things like they would, they said, Hey, you're going to produce, um, your first video. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Like, I have no idea how to do that. And so just being, um, given the opportunity and shown how to do it and that, um, the trust they had in me that I could do it, um, made me start to believe that I could do it too. And so, um, yeah, I think that there was both the, wow, this is kind of what I thought because they had explained it to me. And wow, I have no idea what I'm doing. There was both at the same time. Those are always like, in those places where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just know that I can put one foot in front of the other and I seem to hit ground. So I, I guess I keep going. Like those are fun, scary, exhilarating moments. Definitely. One interesting thing is in the interview process, we've gotten to about the, and the interview process was very extensive. So we had gone through probably four to five months of interviews. And at the end of that period, they said, um, so why don't you move here for um, six weeks, do the job. And at the end of that six weeks, we'll tell you if you get the job or not. And I just was crazy enough to go, sure, why not? Like, what else do I have to lose? I'll completely uproot myself for something that may or may not happen. I was like, hey, why not? And so there was a series of like just faith only God moments that, um, I said yes to, and they said yes to, um, and yeah, here I am now. So what's the one thing that that producer brings to the table that, cause you know, in a, in a smaller church, you have the worship pastor and they're in charge of the service and they're pulling things together and, and doing all the things. And you might delegate running sound or playing a guitar or cause you physically can't do both, but what is it that a producer can bring to the table that, that, you know, that would require another person that the worship leader, worship pastor couldn't just do on their own? Um, they provide a big picture view and they provide clarity and direction. So um, those two or three things actually um, are super important. And so when a worship leader um, is on stage, they have one perspective, but they're not able to see the full perspective. They might not see all the things that are going on in the back of the room with the um, we call them hosts, but with ushers and greeters, some places call them ushers and greeters. They might not know what's going on back there. They might not know that the computer just went down and that's why they don't have lyrics on the screen. So there's a bunch of different things going on. That producer can be the, um, can be the one point person that everyone can come to and give the information to. Um, and you're not missing one another that way. Um, and they also can bring clarity 
to all of the different people, all of the different roles. Um, and then at some, at the end of the day, um, somebody has to make the call, right? Like it, there can be a lot of different voices. Um, but having one person that has all that information and can take that and then go, okay, I hear what you're all saying, but I think we should go this direction. Um, that's very helpful because you can have five people. And a lot of times you don't have time to, to discuss all the different angles and you need somebody who's constantly thinking through that so that, um, you can continue to stay on task and really allow each of those roles to listen to the Holy spirit and to allow them to feel the freedom to not be bogged down with the details. Well, there's just something beautiful about having someone at that 30,000-foot view that everyone else can get in the weeds and on the certain little details, but you got that one person that's just kind of even in the back of the room watching the run-through, kind of lean back. They might even be like thumbing through stuff on their phone, uh, but they're like, they're kind of engaging in the service, in the rehearsals, like a church attender would do, and when you do that, you catch things. Yeah, and I think it depends on the church you're at and the needs of the team. Some producers um, function more of a, like an executive producer role and some producers um, function more of like a TD or a technical director. So um, it just depends on what that team needs. So you might have a producer who's calling the cues that day um, and you might have one that is sitting there and really doesn't have to do that, but but can continually have that um, that bird's eye view. Um, and that's really, really helpful either way. Yeah. How early would you be included in the process for weekend service as, as it's kind of coming together? Like when would you jump in to, I don't know, know what was going on to give input and things like that? Was it like right at the front? Yeah. Um, at, when I was working at Willow, that was, I was in charge of the midweek services. So I didn't have a lot to do with the weekend. Um, but special events, conferences, and the midweek services. It's from, it was from the beginning. So, um, right from the brainstorming sessions for the, those gatherings. Um, yeah, the, uh, the producer and depending on the roles, like our producers that we have here at soul city. Now, um, we have volunteer producers. And so, um, that's a different, a different thing. Sometimes they're involved in the brainstorming depending on their availability. Um, and sometimes they come in once that's that service is set, and then they execute what's been set. So let's let's park there for just a second. Let's look at the the producers that you have at at Soul City. The fact that they are volunteer, that you would love for them to be a part at the very beginning, but it's just not feasibly possible with jobs and kids and all the responsibilities that they have. So where is their entry point? Like when, those producers that you have at Soul City, how do they enter into a service that has already kind of gotten started, so to speak, in terms of its planning? Where where do they come in and begin to provide value and input? Well, I would say sometimes it's um, schedule based as to if they come in at the beginning or, or more in the process. Some of it's based on skill or talent and um, desire. So some of them are more in a leadership position to where they want to execute the things, but the creation of it isn't as thrilling to them. And then there's others that really enjoy that. So I think, um, whatever volunteer you're working with really learning who that volunteer is and, um, having a role 
and some set things for that role, but also listening to the person and to their desires and what's unique about them and kind of tailor making it when they're a part of it is, is just a benefit to your whole team. So, um, yes, there's a way that our producers function, but also we leave room for if they have skill and desire to be a part of things, we want to include them as much as possible. So sometimes your question of sometimes where do they or when do they come in, um, we'll have a conversation um, on the phone. They have access to all of the plans and um, I will have a conversation with them early in the process and say, okay, this is what's coming up. This is who's teaching. This is what creative elements we have in um in store, here's the videos, and talk through the transitions with them, all of that. Um, that if we have anything extra, we like to do extra, like artistic, engaging things throughout the building sometimes. So if there's anything um, extra going on like that, talking through that with them as well, making sure that they have all the information of what's going on. And then um, depending on the week, there's definitely times where they're at rehearsals. And then there's sometimes where they're um, not at the midweek rehearsal, but they're definitely always at the weekend one. Well, it sounds like one of the big things is helping them to find ownership in that service. The more they feel like they can kind of own it, even if they didn't necessarily you know, start the train, so to speak. But um, one of the things I've been trying to work with with our producers is just helping them to like own it because, you know, and, and to be able to speak into things and to provide value because if they own it, then they're going to be more willing to give that feedback, to be able to, to, to pour into certain things. So how, how, as you're working with the producers that you have on, on your team, are there ways that you're trying to like help them to, to own it uh, and own that position? Or are there things that you're intentionally doing? Yes. Um, I would say for them, what, and they know this too, that the education of each element um, happens in, I mean, they can, all of them are at a level where reading through planning center and watching the um, attached videos or things like that, they can educate themselves on what's going to happen pretty easily. The part where they really are owning it is going to be more in their leadership of the people and really making sure that everyone else that is interacting with them has the feeling that this person um, is in charge and that they they're going to be the calm in the storm. If, if they're like, hey, if there's an emergency, I'm following them. I want to follow them. And so that feeling of like um, them really leading the, the charge is important. And that happens for us either at rehearsal on Wednesday or um, during the rehearsal on Sunday mornings. And so what I instruct our producers to do is um, to walk in and introduce themselves to each and every person that's serving that morning, let them know that they're there, just letting them know that their presence is there, helping if they, if the coffee's not made yet, you are making the coffee. Like you're the chief servant of the people. And by doing that, you are creating that trust factor with them and um, really laying a foundation of, oh, this person's here to help me. And that's what you want to, you want them to know. Not that they're just there to do all of the little things. We have other roles that come and help with that too, but that the band and the vocals and the tech team would all feel like this person um, is here to serve me. And so when they make a call that affects me, I know they care. And I know that they have my best interest at heart. Well, and, and it, you have to earn the trust, earn the trust of the band and the creative team and production and all that. Yep. And that's the time where they can, um, we often say, hey, don't don't talk about anything on those, that sheet, on that planning center sheet, unless you've asked someone how they are. 
what, you know, how their week went, uh, because I don't want that to be the first thing we're thinking about. Those people are showing up with, um, some of them have had an incredible week and they need somebody to celebrate with them. Some of them are in really tough spots and, um, how inauthentic to spend for us, our teams serve all day. And so, um, we have three gatherings back to back. And so how inauthentic to, to sit there and be with these people for, you know, eight, nine hours. And then they go home and you find out that they're dealing with this really heavy thing and you didn't know about it. Like that's one of the worst feelings is like, Oh, I wasn't able to just share in their suffering or pray for them. So that needs to be the, the first thing that they're worried about. Um, and I wouldn't even say worried, but that they're just mindful of that. This is about relationship. This is about caring for people. This is more than just what's on that piece of paper. So let's talk about leadership for just a second and just pouring into some of the people that you have on your team, especially you volunteers and things like that. I think it's really easy to say, hey, I need you to play bass guitar. Here's the things I need from you. Or I need you to run pro presenter. Here's the things I need from you. Like, like it's, it's a very tangible, do these three or four things. But there are some roles like the service producer where you're kind of making up some stuff out of thin air, you know, that normally would be on the worship pastor. So how are you pulling, uh, pouring into people? Like how, how do you as the leader, that entire ministry, helping those people, those volunteers to free, freed up to, I don't know, um, reach for things that aren't necessarily there to make something a little bit better or to, you know, to reach out to people. I mean, you're, you're putting someone into a pretty substantial leadership role, it sounds like. So how are you cultivating that, that kind of spirit and that, that, that culture? Yeah, I'd say, um, how we're cultivating it is, um, one as the leader, um, really setting them up as the leader. So deferring my leadership to them in, in verbal and in, um, action. So at the front of things saying, Hey, everybody, Allison's here today. She's going to be producing. If you have any questions at all, she is here to answer those questions and she's happy to do so. So make sure she has all the information, make sure you ask her. So do a verbal transfer to them. Um, and then if people come up to me with suggestions or thoughts or things like that, letting them know, yeah, that's a great thought. Make sure you tell Allison. Um, so I'm continually trying to divert, um, authority and leadership to that person so that people begin to rely on them and, um, look at them. Now that doesn't mean that I, I mean, our producers will tell you I'm texting back and forth with them through the whole service saying, Hey, let's tweak this. Have you looked at this? What's your thought on this? Um, bring this level down. Let's cut that lighting cue, things like that. But um, when it comes to interacting with everybody else, um, that they are, I'm verbally and in action helping to, to elevate their role. And my role in, in the Sunday is to serve everybody else, including the producer. And so as they're serving, as they're serving everyone, I'm looking out for them and making sure I can help them. And then helping them see that you, you'd ask like, how do they create things to do out of thin air? Um, I would say if you have somebody that's like, Hey, I'd love to come help you some Sunday. Um, oftentimes I have people following me around. It's just, I'm just like, yeah, show up and we'll, we'll train you. You can just shadow. Very few times have I ever had people show up and then be like, Oh, there's nothing for you to do, <laughs> you know, because there's always stuff. There's always stuff that comes up, whether it's like, Hey, can you go make copies for this? Or, Hey, we need somebody to go stand by the, uh, the book table because 
so-and-so is going to be signing books and they need they need help. Oh, hey, the cafe needs help. So really looking at, um, yes, the producer helps the, uh, in our, in our um, circumstance here, or in our gatherings, they help the, the actual gathering that's in the room. But we have a production assistance, many of them that are training to be producers, or that um, are people that really love that type of role that show up and they, and we help everybody. So I'm like, Hey, if you need a production assistant and there's something going on with first impressions and they need help, I want them to know that our team is the team that's going to help fill in the gaps and help serve them. So, um, we train them to watch for fires and put them out before they happen. So if you see that there's something going on, like you see a flickering light and you think, Oh, that might go out eventually because it's flickering and I don't know why there's a theme on the bus or I'm well it's on the bus and the train here in Chicago that says if you see something say something that's what we're training people for because most of those producers um whether they have training in theater or music or um production the the normal person sitting in those seats is going to be distracted by the same things they are and so helping them recognize that, that, you, that some of the things you're going to get better at and you're going to be trained in, but what are you looking for? You're looking for things that could be distracting and you're helping to lessen those because um, our role, our team's um, call and what we um, continue to remind people about the vision and mission for our team is um, creating moments that lead to movement with Jesus. It's not about the planning center sheet. It's about, Hey, we are here to create moments that lead to movement with Jesus. So if the moment is what we're after, what can I do to help make that moment with the Holy spirit distraction free? What can I help do to make sure that people can hear and um, the word of God being spoken and see the scripture and make sure that the right scripture is up at the right time. And Oh, that didn't have a period at the end of the sentence, I should, we should probably change that. So there's sometimes that people can go, ah, oh, it's okay this time. No, it's not. Let's change it. It'll take us five minutes or less. Let's make sure that everything we do is done to, to an excellent level at the level that we're at. No matter if you're in a church of 50 or if you're in a church of 5,000, we can continue to bring our excellence and um, our very best, no matter what equipment we have, no matter what um, place we have. And that excellence isn't just in a technical excellence. That's in attitude. That's in leadership. That's in care for our people. Um, that's in follow-up. Um, communication is care. What information do I have that other people might need? We ask that a lot of times. Like, what do I know in my head that might be helpful for other people to know too? So um, really getting that into the producer's heads too and letting them know that um, they really can be the lead servant of the whole gathering. I love it. I love how you just the verbiage you put to that and just the way you describe that. I think that's super helpful. Sarah, are you ready now for the bonus round? Oh, I'm super ready. I'm ready. ready. You seem like someone who would be ready for the bonus round every single day. I I just need to know other prizes. Like, am I going to win a prize for this bonus round? You get a hearty handshake through the internets. Hey, I love a hearty handshake. I'm a three on the Enneagram. So even a hearty handshake is like a, is some kind of trophy. So I'm excited about it. Awesome. Here comes the bonus round in three, two, one, coffee or tea? Coffee. Early riser or night owl? 
uh, Early Riser. Favorite TV or Netflix show? Oh, right now, From the Moon to the Earth. It's an old one with Tom Hanks, but it's really great. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's good. Is that a movie or like a TV show? It's both. It's like documentary. It's all about NASA and our whole space program, but it has like inner... Um, it's interwoven with actual news footage and stuff from way back when. So it's really interesting. Cat or dog? Oh, dog. Cubs or White Sox? Cubs. That was pretty enthusiastic, too. Yeah, we love the Cubs. Favorite book every creative should read? Um, Creativity, Inc. Um, by Ed Catmull. I would read that. Very inspiring and insightful. Um you want me to keep going? I've got some others. Sure. Okay. Um, the War of Art. Um, one I really like is Seven Rules You Were Born to Break. That one's a great one. Seven Rules You Were Born to Break. Um, Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And then one I'm reading right now is more of leadership, not as uh, much about the creativity part, but um, it's called The Nine Lies of Work. Ooh, that sounds interesting. And we'll put all of those in the show notes so you can check those out. What is a hidden talent that you have that only a few people know about? Oh, a hidden talent. Oh, I'm pretty good at ping pong. Really? Yeah. I grew up playing with my dad and brother. So on staff retreats and stuff, I'm like the the one that you don't see it coming. So are you, you like you play like the honest to goodness hustler? Like you just walk in like, I don't, what is this thing called? I don't know how this is. Bam, I just beat you. I mean, is that your MO? Our communications director, and she's a friend of mine, Bobby, we um, went in a little bit like that, but we're kind of like, we're going to beat you, and they don't believe us. because. So it's more of like, hey, you want to you wanna verse us because we're going to beat you. We kind of go a little more aggressive with it. Ooh. Like, we're going to take you down, and then they think, no way. And then they're like, shoot, they actually did. That's awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the bonus round. Excellent job. Thank you. I want to go ahead and piggyback on uh, your mention on the books and just on the leadership and things like that. And just with your role of what you're, you know, uh, being the creative pastor at Soul City and what I know that you guys are doing and you are doing some fun and creative things out there in the Chicago area. So how are you with a couple of years under your belt and everything that you've done at, at Willow and, and, and everywhere else? How are you as a leader, like cultivating um, just... How are you being intentional about the culture that you're creating? What what is it that you're wanting to see out of your team, and 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 what are some of the things that you're doing to to pull that out of the people that you work with, both your staff members and also like in your volunteers? Yeah, that's a a really good question. Um, I think the um, two things that you need for creativity is um, you need white space and you need curiosity, and so continuing. Um, and then you need, um, safety. There's actually more than two. I've just thought of them right now. Um, you need safety and, um, the celebration of, um, taking risks and failing and not that not being a bad thing. And so I think that's, um, something that we, um, that Jeannie and Jarrett model well here for our team, um, and for us, and that I try to model too, for our team is, Hey, it's celebrated to take risks. And, um, if, if it doesn't work, not a problem. We're going to shift it and, and try again. And then trying one of my, um, joys is really trying to say yes to the right yeses and no to the good distractions for our team so that they can have the space they need to create. 
And um, that is different for each team member. Somebody asked me how I lead my team. And I said, a better question is to ask how I lead Patrick, Josh, Fabi, Laz, um, Katie, all of the other people on our team. How do I lead them individually? Because how I lead one is going to be different than how I lead another. Um, And what I'm going to be challenging them on is different. And um, what they want to bring creatively and how they bring it is different too. Um, So I'm, I'm way more about leading individually than I am expecting them all to be led the exact same way. So how does that play out? Like when you, when you're looking at various individuals, like how, how would you lead one person over another? Um, one-on-ones with one of them. Like I know for our worship pastor, one-on-ones for him are very, uh, like our meetings and how we, um, connect are like, Hey, let's take a walk. Let's go get coffee. Like, let's take a walk around the block. Like that kind of, um, connection and talking through things is going to work better for him. Um, Fabi, we need, uh, our communications director for one-on-ones, we're going to need a whiteboard and some time to hash some stuff out. And so, um, just connecting with them in ways that are going to be meaningful to them, um, providing opportunities for them. Laz is new to his role. So, um, one of the best things I can do to Laz is be a connector to him. Um, for um, connecting him with other people and sending him to conferences, getting him on the phone with other people that I know across the United States that um, are a little bit further ahead in their roles and helping him. Josh, um, I've had the privilege of uh, our video and visual directors newer to us, but I've worked with him before. Um, but Josh came in and this, he's incredible, incredible at designing and things like that. But this is his first um, role where he really is expected to lead teams. So I'm going to focus more in on that for him. And so really looking at that, um, looking at their personality, looking at where they are in their stage of ministry, um, and then also looking at their desires. What are their hopes and dreams? Like if I'm not asking them about what they want to do someday um, and what they're most interested in, then um, they easily could get burned out and not have much vision for the future. It sounds like a lot of your leadership, the way you approach leadership is just being a student of the people that you're leading. Yeah, exactly. And and that's part of just who I am, who I grew up around. Um, but I look at, and I was talking to somebody the other day about, um, well, actually I was talking um, to somebody about uh, what we spoke on at Philo too, which um I'm sure many people that listen to this um, go to Philo too, but the breakout I was doing there, um, as I was preparing for that, I was looking at um, how Jesus gathered his disciples. And it's very relational. And he, he decided what he needed. And then he went out to where those people would be. And then he spoke in a language that he said, hey, two fishermen, I want to fish for men. Why don't you come and follow me? And so he... Um, connected with them on a way that, um, was relatable and, um, everything he did was relational. He didn't, um, have the same system for talking to everybody and he didn't do everything in, in the same rote way. And so just looking at that has been a great model for myself in leadership and then, um, really calling people to how they can inspire people. People aren't going to be inspired when you show them a system for how you, I should, I should say most creatives are not going to be inspired when you say, Hey, I've got this new great leadership system. I mean, you say the word system and they're like, Oh, so, Hey, I want to get to know you and I want to find out what makes 
you excited about life? One of my favorite questions right now that I've been asking a lot of people, um, and I'm going to ask you one more question in a minute, but, um, one of the questions that we ask often is what's, what's currently bringing you the most joy. And often when I ask that question, I also hear what's not bringing them joy, right? Isn't that natural to say that? And then I'm able to lead out of that and help make shifts and decisions um, to help either free up more time so that they really love what they do or um, say, help get rid of some of the distractions that are, you know, sucking the joy out of them, if that might be the season. That's really good. I'm going to ask you what I've been asking our team. What in life is bringing you most joy right now? I, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of things. I feel like I'm in a good season, and I can't say that I've I've been able to say that for a lot of years. Um, we specifically when it comes to the church and ministry, I. I, I love being able to to set up a, a foundation and 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 you know, almost like when you're dumping out crayons yeah. and you you dump and you have all these different colors and like what can I make with this and being able to like color and like once you put that together it might have seemed kind of a little hodgepodgeish at, at the front yeah but like when you pull all that stuff together and you see it come together and it and it's and because of you know you didn't get to choose the colors and the materials and all that but once but once you start playing with that and dealing with that and using that to be creative as as you know I'm the worship pastor but in a lot of respects I'm the creative arts pastor being able to see like it grows into something that is even better than I could even imagine. Like when someone really steps into their gifting, into their roles, and they start suggesting things and they start doing things better be, better than you could even think of. And I, you just as a proud leader, or whatever, you just sit back and you just smile and you're like, yeah, like, and you know, or when someone gets an accolade and gets a clap, and you're and you're in the back of the room and you're celebrating with that person, that brings me joy. I love that. That's so great, Dave. And I would say too, that's, um, I resonate with that too, because growing up doing a lot of, um, singing and vocal work and being on the stage that, and my personality, I loved getting the accolades and getting the claps and stuff like that. But as I've grown and sometimes that feeds that, oh, I don't know that anything could feel that great or being a part of a worship moment. And you're like, oh, this was the pinnacle of, of that. But you're right. Um, as you grow and you continue to, um, what I say is my calling in life is to be a cultivator of people. And so when I have the opportunity to cultivate people and um, recognize gifts in them that they didn't even know they had and how they can point those to Jesus, it's better than any clapping of anything ever. Um, it, it's You honestly sit back and go, I had the opportunity to help them um, give back to God. And there is nothing better. So an interesting piece of trivia, Sarah mentioned her dad a few times in this episode. Her dad is actually Stan Endicott. He's a worship pastor and musician that has worked with hundreds of churches around the world to lead or assist or coach or direct, whatever the need was. And he actually founded the Slingshot Group about 10 or 15 years ago, which is a staffing company that helps churches find their next worship pastor in other pastoral roles. I got to meet Stan when I was at the 
Philo Conference last spring, which is also where I met Sarah for the first time. And Stan is an interesting, that's not the word I want to use. He is a fascinating guy to be around. He kind of doesn't have a filter in in a good way. And he has this unconventional way of looking at the world. But the war, the more that you talk with him, the more you're like, huh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I actually got the chance to meet a lot of great people at Philo, which is one of the main reasons that I went. As a content creator, you have some of the best people at what they do under one roof, and I just ran around like a crazy person with a camera trying to capture as much knowledge as I possibly could. One guy that I was able to sit down with was actually one of the main speakers at Philo 2019. His name is Ryan Howell, and he's the director of production at Watermark Community Church in the Dallas, Texas area. And we shot a video about creating culture. Your ministry has a culture, whether you realize it or not. So you might as well be intentional with it and define it. And we talk about how they define their culture at Watermark and how you can go about defining your own culture at your own church. If you haven't seen that video yet, you can check it out at youtube.com slash practical worship. If you've made it this far into the podcast, hey, do this real quick. Take a screenshot and share it somewhere on social media. I always love seeing where you guys are listening to the show from and what you're doing. And when you share it, tag me by using at Dave Dolphin OK. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month. 